All right, one of the uh, caricatures that's raised against biblical counseling is that it can't handle the hard cases, the serious cases. Some of the things that we'll be talking about today, schizophrenia, multiple personality disorder, bipolar disorder, OCD, and so on. Uh, and so this book was released a few years ago with actual counseling situations. Obviously, the names have been changed, but stories of actual counseling cases with, with these kinds of serious issues and the success that was found uh, in Christ, in the Word of God, in um, very direct and careful counseling over the course of some time, and very encouraging book. So I want to give this to you guys as we are ending up our series on biblical counseling. So the question is, get ready, okay, everybody listening? What medical procedure identifies a biological, biological cause for OCD behavior? What medical procedure do physicians use to identify a biological cause for OCD behavior? That's, that's the question. What medical procedure do physicians use to identify a biological cause for OCD behavior? There is no procedure. That's right. There's no medical procedure that physicians use to identify a biological cause for OCD. It is diagnosed by the symptoms only. The only reason why a physician would assign a medical procedure or a blood test was to discern that there's no underlying physical causes creating these uh, behaviors. Okay? So now the problem is, Yvonne, I think you recently won a book. Didn't you, have you recently yeah, won a book? So, uh, who would you like to receive this book? <laughs> Someone who has not had a book. Who has not received a book in the last six months? Everyone, yeah, everyone. All right, I'll, th I'll think of another question. Fine, fine, I'll think of another question. Who did? Who did? Abilash, do you want this book? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to throw it. There you go. It's a great book. So, uh, part of the remi a reminder, uh, part of the reason why I do this, give books away, or try to give them away each week, is so not only will one of you win it, but so that you guys will see the books that I would recommend. Okay? So that you can, hey, I'll check that out, or you, you, you can have the confidence this is a book that Derek recommends, and and therefore you can read it with uh, uh, knowing, reading it knowing that. Uh, any book I recommend does not mean I endorse every last thing in that book. You can never really do that except for the Bible. So uh, just keep that in mind. But the books that I do give out here one, are ones that I can happily endorse in good conscience, say, yes, you should read them. They're excellent, and they should be helpful to you. So let me pray for us, and then we will uh, get into our last session and... Crystal, will you turn over the page and look at the, the back? Oh. Look at that! Bonus! Insomnia. Thanks. There you go. All right, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, we just are grateful to you for this church and all that you're doing here. We just ask that you would do even more, that you would continue to knit our hearts together in love, that you would bear the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, that we would care for one another, worship you, uh, reach out to the lost with the gospel, be courageous in all walks of life, and 
be able to accurately apply the Word of God to our lives and to the lives of others, even with really serious or what appear to be serious issues. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, we are going to end with, and I, I surveyed the class last week and say, hey, should we end last week or should we go on and do a couple more things? And you, a few of you said, let's do a couple of the more so-called serious issues in the DSM. And so I chose schizophrenia. Well, I didn't choose them. I think you guys kind of even, a few of you said these. So schizophrenia and dissociative identity disorder, which is just multiple personality disorder, but this is the, the, the newest way to label it, the, the newest label for that disorder. And so what I want to do here is I want to walk through schizophrenia. And, and helpfully, these two things are related. Okay, These two uh, issues are related. So I think it's, it's helpful to do it in one lesson. I want to talk first about schizophrenia, then uh, multiple personality disorder, and then talk about two other, what they would call, one's a disorder, one is not a disorder, uh, but these are these other two, one called malingering, one called uh, factitious disorder, these are related because both of these ailments can be faked. And I'm not saying that as a biblical counselor, I'm saying that as someone who is uh, read the literature and watched the videos and listened to psychiatrists say these things can be faked. Okay? And I think as Christians, we can understand pretty deeply why someone would fake these things. Okay? But we're just, we'll, we'll wait till we get to that. So let's talk first about schizophrenia. What is schizophrenia? We're just going straight out of the DSM again, the latest version of the DSM. Uh, two or more of the following things are occurring in uh, a one-month period, okay? So it says here, two or more of the following, each present for a significant portion of time during a one-month period. Uh, there must be delusions in the person. The person is having, having delusions, and a delusion is something that they believe that is patently false, that you're able to objectively say that that's what you're believing is we all realize this is not true or are highly unlikely to be, be true. So they're having delusions about things in their life or things in the world, they may also be having hallucinations or claims to hallucinations, which are, which are um, things that they are certain that they see or hear, but that are not actually being, uh, or that you cannot see or hear. We don't want to say that they're not actually being seen or heard, because to the person, they are. Okay? Uh, or at least they claim that they are. This is where it's very challenging to, to diagnose these things, because you are relying upon the testimony of, of someone, and you can't like get inside the, their head to, to, to affirm or confirm these things. But nevertheless, delusions, hallucinations, and then in terms of how they are speaking, really kind of grossly disorganized speech. Like they're just, they call it frequent derailment and incoherence. And some of the videos I watch, this is more pronounced than others. There are some people who talk about their schizophrenia very coherently but then might meander off in a, in a, a bit of a coherent, co incoherent rambling. Some people, it's just out of control. They're talking about who knows what, and they're having what might be called a, um, a psychotic episode. Okay? Grossly disorganized or catatonic behavior. So behavior that just doesn't make any sense, going from thing to thing, saying all kinds of things that don't make sense, or catatonic, meaning they're just shut down completely. Just not talking not moving, or barely talking, and that would be catatonic. 
Um, the negative symptoms are those, are, those would be kind of the positive symptoms. The negative symptoms are dis, 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 uh, diminished emotional expression or not having any volition to do anything. So just don't want to get up, don't want to get out of bed, don't want to do anything at all. Just they call a volition, so having no volition. Um, quote, for a significant portion of the time since the onset of the disturbance, level of functioning in one or more a major areas such as work, interpersonal relations, or self-care is markedly below the level achieved prior to the onset. So again, remember, when we're, the way the DSM talks about mental illnesses, what they're saying is that the way that you know someone has a mental illness is if these things are taking them way out of the game. They're having major impact on relationships in their life, their work, um, any kind of family relationships, uh, exercise, hobbies. They're just, they're just out of the game. They can't really function in these normal ways that people are typically able to function. And so uh, that needs to be recognized. Also, quote, continuous signs of the disturbance persist for at least six months. The six-month period must include one month of symptoms. Um, And then you would also, as, you're, as this person has come in and, and, or their family has brought them in, often is the case, you recognize that the disturbance is not, can't be attributed to some sort of uh, effect of a drug or of a substance, whether that's illegal or legal, or an underlying medical condition. So you want to make sure that you're, you're recognizing that this is not the result of some, some sort of drug or an underlying medical condition that could be causing some of this uh, behavior and let's see anything else um, okay I think that's it that that's basically it in terms of describing someone who has has schizophrenia and of course you can you can, it's, it's amazing now the, the amount of material that's produced, video material that's produced online where you can actually watch cases of schizophrenic counseling where you, could, where you have the psychiatrist and the psychologist interviewing the, the person with schizophrenia. You can see older and newer videos of people having a psychotic episode, people who are really, really bad, and there's kind of a spectrum of people who really have really bad schizophrenia and those who uh, appear to, to just have some trouble here and there. Um, so that's, 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 basic, that's basically how you would diagnose it, okay, based on what the DSM says. If you're the psychiatrist or psychologist, you have someone come in or their family brings them in, and you're going to walk through these things and de determine whether or not there is this real uh, uh, abnormal behavior, any kind of canatonic activity, any kind of um, uh, issues where they are... Uh, describing hallucinations, or if they have, they're explaining kind of their reality, but it's clearly delusional. Okay, you're, you're, you're assessing all this, and then if these things are there within the time frame, then you would diagnose them as being schizophrenic. And the treatment is, is the same as the treatment for anything else in the DSM. Often it's psychotherapy and medication. Okay. The question, I think, the next question on yours, oh, here's some examples, yes. So, Let's see here. Ah, here we go. Okay. Uh, here's a, a young man who, uh, whose mom died at an early age. Okay? 
And that's when he started acting very strangely, very erratically, uh, and exhibiting not only strange behavior, but just downright bad behavior. Severe disobedience at home, antisocial behavior at school, all that. Uh, so what they did is, uh, given some of his, his behavior, he was diagnosed as a schizophrenic, and then he was uh, put on some medication. And as he's giving this interview, he actually questions. He says, I'm not sure what these medications are doing to me, and not only that, I'm not sure if I really have schizophrenia. Cause, so he was even skeptical about the diagnosis. Uh, nevertheless, what was important about here is what? what what's, what's a really important factor in this, this young man's str struggle? The death of his mother, okay? Okay, that's, that's going to be an important point. Another young man named Joshua, he started hearing voices. This is fairly typical with, with uh, schizophrenics. He started hearing voices, and then his first psychotic break was age, at age 17, kind of a, a mental breakdown, it seems like, uh, at age 17. Uh, no real indication of, of previous trauma in that one. Uh, and then there was a girl. I mean, these are, this, is a, this is like tip, tip of the iceberg. I mean, you can just watch video after video and read article after article. I mean, it, it goes on and on, but these are just, this is just a sampling. This girl started fearing the government was watching her. Uh, she started hearing voices in her head. When did this start? Shortly after her mom died. But her symptoms were lessened. Uh, so, she, so she started uh, hearing voices. She started coming up with these incredible conspiracy theories that the government was watching her. She couldn't even be in her own room because she's sure that the government was watching her. And, and these other kinds of strange uh, behaviors. And her dad and her family, her dad and mom finally took her in and said, like, this, is, this can't go on. And she was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Um, but again, importantly, notice that when, when did these things start happening? After her mom died, right? A very traumatic experience. In, in, in this interview, what, here's what I found particularly interesting. Listen to this. When do you think her symptoms are lessened? What do you think in her life helps lessen her symptoms? I'm not talking about medications right now. What do you think in her life lessens her symptoms? No, but that's a good, that's a good guess. That's a good guess. Well, she's not, she's not a, uh, a Christian, so I, she didn't say anything about meditation, although she could have said something about Eastern-style meditation, which would be uh, more typical. But I'll, 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 sorry, I'll start, I'll, I'll stop uh, holding you guys in suspense here. I found this incredibly insightful. She finds that her symptoms are lessened as she focuses on her work. This is just a dialogue now. Psychiatrist, do you have a job? Girl says, I work at the Learning Center with kids there. I like working with young people and find when I am interacting with people and talking to them, I am less in my mind and less lost in my imagination. Psychiatrist, so that's another sort of coping mechanism. Girl, it's kind of encouraged and motivated me to want to go be in public and try different things and be involved in a lot because I don't want to go back uh, to what I was before. And he called it a coping mechanism. I want to say, no, actually, one of the remedies for our depression and our struggles and our uh, being too much into our head is to actually get out and work and to serve other people. 
Okay, so it doesn't surprise me, she's not a Christian, but it doesn't surprise me that she felt relief as she focused on work and got out of her head and now focused on serving others rather than uh, ruminating only on her uh, self. A big question that probably a number of you have that I had is, is this next one. Is schizophrenia the result of an underlying brain disease? And so I searched peer-reviewed articles to get the answer. Not just popular psych psychology blogs or popular biblical counseling blogs, like no, peer-reviewed journal articles to find out what the scientists are saying, what the medical doctors are saying. Um, this, is, this is remarkable, this one here. Um, Let's see, it was, the title of it is it The Diagnostic Concept of Schizophrenia. Uh, this gentleman writes, he says, more, quote, more than a century since the delineation of dementia pre precox by Capelin, which is kind of the, the precursor of what we call now schizophrenia, the etiology, neuropathology, and pathophysiology of schizophrenia remain elusive. In other words, we, we still don't know a whole lot about its origins. Um, genetic linkage and association studies have targeted multiple candidate loci and genes but failed to demonstrate that any specific gene variant or combination of genes is either necessary or sufficient to cause schizophrenia. Here's, here's the takeaway, quote, thus the existence of a specific brain disease underlying schizophrenia remains a, a hypothesis. I appreciate his objectivity. It remains a hypothesis. There's no firm, solid evidence, according to this gentleman and others, that you can pin schizophrenia on a specific brain disease. Okay, so that, that's important. So that now leads us into, um, no, I'll wait, I'll wait. I'll wait until we do multiple personality disorder. But I, I wanted to remove that piece of the, the puzzle or, or put that piece of the puzzle back in, I don't know. But I, I wanted us to, to see that it's not as though this so-called serious ailment is clearly connected to an underlying brain disease that gives rise to schizophrenic behavior in every case. It's still a hypothesis. And that's, that's not a biblical counselor saying that. That's, those are the people in the field of psychiatry and psychology uh, saying that. All right, well, let's go on to talking briefly about uh, dissociative identity disorder or multiple personality disorder briefly, then I'll talk about malingering and factitious di disorder, and then we'll uh, apply some biblical uh, truth to both of these things, both of these disorders. All right, what is this disorder or ailment? Here's how it's defined in the DSM. Disruption of identity characterized by two or more distinct personality states which may be described in some cultures as an expression of, or experience of possession, and that is the case. So when you have people with a split mind like this and they're claiming to have multiple personalities, in some cultures, uh, here, even here in the West, particularly uh, where there's the uh, influence of, of Christianity, some have seen this as signs of demonic activity. And um, we'll even talk about kind of the, the, the cultural setting that this this occurs in this multiple 
personality disorder typically occurs in. But uh, the disruption in identity involves marked discontinuity in sense of self and sense of agency, accompanied by related alterations in effect, behavior, consciousness, memory, perception, cognition, or sensory uh, motor functioning. These signs and symptoms may be observed by others or reported by the individual. Recurrent gaps in the recall of everyday events, important personal information or traumatic events that are inconsistent with ordinary forgetting. The symptoms cause clinically significant distress or impairment in social, occupational, or other important areas of functioning. Like we talked about, this is, this is something that's taking people out of the game. That's hard for them to work. It's hard for them to relate with people. Disturbance is not part of a broadly accepted cultural or religious practice. Um, in children, the symptoms are... In, in, if you're going to diagnose it in a child, they, they, you need to make sure they're not better explained by simply imaginary or fantasy play, which kids are always doing. I mean, when I was a kid, I mean, I could be a hundred different people, and it was fun, right? Right? Now I'm, now I'm Duke, you know, from G.I. Joe's. No, now I'm Snake Eyes. Now I'm whoever. So, you know what I'm saying? Duke, Snake Eyes? Well, never mind. Um, so you have to make sure if you're diagnosing it in a child that there's not, this isn't just typical kid stuff, or even typical kid stuff a little bit exaggerated, right? Because some kids are more imaginary play than others, and we even have that in our own family um, with our kids. <clears throat> and then the symptoms are not attributable to some physiological effects or substance uh, use. Okay, here's some terminology. Uh, an alter is uh, just another word for the other person in your Living in, so an alter is just a different personality. And some people could have five alters, they could have 10. Saw a video where some lady claimed to have 2,500 alters that lived within her. Uh, a ho the host is the personality that is around most of the time. And uh, sometimes, especially as this progresses, so these don't, it doesn't begin, it doesn't seem to begin this way, but as this progresses, this disorder progresses in a person that they will actually experience blackouts and where they don't remember how they blacked out, they don't remember uh, what happened, and sometimes these blackouts will lead to a change in, in alter. Okay? Uh, here's a few examples. Um, this one girl's alters, they started early. She had many imaginary friends as a kid, and then it kind of just morphed and grew, and now she has multiple different alters. I think she had six. And what you'll find with these alters is they have distinct personalities. They have distinct roles within the person. This person is the protector. This person is the outgoing one. This person is the, the, the shy one who stays back and, and analyzes. This one is the person who goes out and gets things done. Okay. Uh, in, this, in another case, this one girl, uh, and, and it was strange because I wasn't picking on the girls, but I just found a lot of females struggled with this particular disorder. I don't, I'm not sure why that's the case, but I, would, I, just, I was going through this like, oh, man, I better find some guys here. I don't want the girls to think that this is just a female thing. But it's possible. I mean, because girls tend to be more open about their inner life than, than men are. So, But I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't try to speculate about that, but I just thought it was interesting. Uh, it's not as though that, it's not as though men don't um, have this kind of behavior, but it just seemed to be more common than in these ladies. I'm not, I'm not sure. I actually don't know the statistics on this, on this particular one. But this girl said, um, these personalities, and I'm just quoting her, quote, these persona personalities are uh, all me. 
so they were broken off as a segment of my own personality, so they're all creating one big personality. So she doesn't see them as different personalities so much as they're just fragments off of her one personality. Um, she says, I call all the voices in my head, they're like my system, uh, and that's kind of what my therapist has taught me to call it. They're the systems of voices that make up your inner dialogue, so my inner dialogue is just fragmented into many different sections, and I just hear it different ways and, do, uh, and hear different voices. Some of them sound very different, and some of them sound a little bit similar. A couple of, a couple of them sound like my regular dialogue, but one of them sounds like Smeagol from Lord of the Rings. Okay, now, I just, I just wondered about this. I wondered this before she said it. I said, I wonder if it changes best on the movie she watches. And it just so happens they do. Uh, it only sounds that right like uh, that one I call the monster voice because the monster voice changes when I watch another movie or when I hear another voice, it can kind of take on that voice. It's interesting. So it's taking on what she is, she is watching changing is depending. The, the monster changes to based on what she's watching, the voice at least. Uh, basically, when I was younger, probably between first and second grade, something traumatic happened to me. Uh, and that traumatic event uh, that I can't remember that happened, I blocked out of my memory and created a new fragment. And for the first time, I created that new fragment and then went on to survive in different situations. I just created a new fragment because it was my way of survival. So at least in her own perception, she was creating these personalities for the sake of survival. Now the reason I think that's significant is because I think that's exactly what's going on in all of these cases. She just has the wherewithal to actually say that this, was what's happening, this is what is happening. I'll, I'll mention one more and then I'll kind of, or two more and then I'll give you my, my assessment here. Um, in case number three, this woman creates her personalities, that's her word. Uh, this lady was apparently abused very badly, I mean horrendously by her dad in childhood. There's no disputing that. He even pleaded guilty to it. So there's no disputing that she suffered something traumatic. And then she created these personalities in order to cope with the abuse. Okay? The, and so there's no disputing that. And that's why I bring up these traumatic experiences that kind of run through these uh, schizophrenic and uh, uh, multiple personality disorders is because it's not as though this just cropped up because you have an underlying brain disease that gave rise to these problems. No, you had a traumatic experience and you needed to deal with this traumatic experience somehow to survive in life. And this is how some people have dealt with them. And what you have here is, in her case, she, she in order to survive, she created, she created, she said, these multiple personalities. Uh, and I think just as you listen to these, you recognize, no, this is not an underlying brain disease, clearly. This is a coping mechanism. This is how people are dealing with really hard garbage that's happened in their life. Sinful stuff that has happened to them, okay? Um, and then case number four, this woman experienced horrible abuse as a young child and it caused her mind to fragment. Her psychologist has treated six people. So he's, in his life, he's treated six people with uh, dissociative identity disorder, and all of them experienced severe abuse before the age of two. Okay, so my, my assessment of this is that what has happened with these, it, it's not an underlying brain disorder, it's, it's not a biochemical thing going on here, it's people that have experienced a horrendous amount of sin acted against them, and in some cases, 
maybe not in every, but in, in some cases, a lot of them, and they have learned how to deal with them this way, by creating multiple different personalities that can help them navigate these troubles. That's why this next question, I think, oh, I didn't have it on here. Are these two disorders diagnosed by a medical procedure that identifies a biological cause for behavior? No, we already talked about that. And then what's the treatment typically for these two disorders, medicine and psychotherapy? Uh, okay, so back to these two things I brought up. These are just words you should, un you should, you should know these words. Uh, the first one is malingering. Have you ever heard that word before? The word malingering? Um, this is, quote, malingering is a falsification or profound exaggeration of illness to gain external benefits such as avoiding work or responsibility, seeking drugs, avoiding trial, seeking attention, avoiding military service, leave from school, paid leave from job, and others. So psychologists and psychiatrists have identified what they call malingering, and this has been around for a long time. I think the word's been around for a long time, actually, in the history of psychiatry and psychology, where, where the psychiatrists and psychologists are perceptive enough to say, I think you're faking it, and I think you're faking it in order to gain some advantage, monetary advantage, break from responsibilities, whatever it might be, okay? So this is called, uh, this is what they would call malingering, and the reason I bring it up in, in this case is because these kinds of, even the, the schizophrenic kind of uh, behaviors, they can be faked, but they can be faked until they become what? Real to the person, okay? So that's malingering. Factitious disorder is slightly different, though I think underlying has the same underlying thing going on. Um, let's see. It involves efforts to garner gratification intrinsic to the sick role through st the simulation, exaggeration, and aggravation of or induction of physical or uh, psychological signs and symptoms, and they are trying to, they are trying to actually um, get something out of their, their sickness. Uh, in this role, sick individuals are excused from social responsibility and are expected to perceive their condition as undesirable, lack of voluntary control over the disease, and are therefore not considered at fault and are expected to seek help to uh, cure this condition. So re this is different than malingering because this making up of symptoms is actually, it's, it's supposed to be so inherent to the person that they're not actually really seeking these external benefits. It's that they're making these things up and they don't even realize they're making these things up. And then when it's brought to their attention, listen, you're making these things up because you have factitious disorder. They're like, oh, I need to get, I need to do something about this factitious disorder, which is a propensity to make up exaggerated sicknesses so that I can get out of things. Okay, so within psychi uh, uh, psychology and psychiatry, they've, they've distinguished these two things. One is fakery with the, with the clear motivation to get something. The other is fakery, but without the clear motivation to get something. And this is, this is a disorder that you need to recognize that you have and you need to uh, take care of it. And often, oftentimes in factitious disorder, the actual um, ailments are, uh, the physical ailments that come along with it, like the hurt arm or the, the pain in, in the body or whatever, are actually truly sensed but nevertheless brought on about this um, by a, a, something that's not actually real, that it's actually being made up in their mind. So those two things are distinct. They're not the same thing. They're not identified in the same way uh, by psychiatrists and psychologists. And the reason I bring that up here is because 
Um, I think that can, be ha that can definitely be happening in cases of schizophrenia and cases of uh, DID. Okay? Uh, I've watched a few, or not a few, more than I probably needed to, um, interviews with people with multiple personality disorder, and they can just conjure up their personalities and bring them out, and they, they'll, the interviewers say, can you ask so-and-so to come out, and they'll bring out so-and-so. And I didn't want to be, um, what's the word? I didn't want to be overly skeptical or, what's the other word? Um, no, um, dismissive. Dismissive is a good one. A good one. Critical. Um, yeah, those will, those will do fine. Um, so I tried to listen with an open mind, but some of them were so clearly conjured up by the person that to me it was like watching an adult act like a child. Truly. And that's what we're going to get into here. Yes, in, in some cases, if not a lot of cases, there's been underlying traumatic experience or sin committed against the person. That nevertheless doesn't, even, even, even so, that person still cannot be excused from what I think is utterly childish behavior in often, in, in, in many cases, at least the, one, the, the interviews that I was watching. I'm not excusing the sin that's been committed against them, but how they handled it, we, we can't say that that's okay. That's, that's not how you handle, handle these things. Um, how do we, how do we ass assess these things biblically? Um, first and foremost, of course, for both, although schizophrenia probably requires this more than uh, DID, uh, first for schizophrenia, a counselor should first rule out any underlying medical issues, determine that the person is not using any kind of medication that could be giving rise to hallucinations. You know, I don't know if you guys remember this when you were young kids, but sometimes being really sick causes hallucinations. That can be the case. When I, I remember very distinctly as a young kid laying in my bed with a really high fever, and this happened uh, three or four times during my childhood, I can remember distinctly. High fever, when I had high fever sicknesses, it always felt like the walls were coming, like they were closing in. I could, I could see it, I could feel it. It was just a very strange experience. But it always happened when I was sick. And I would say that's a kind of hallucination. That's something that can happen if you're sick. It can, it can happen if you're on certain kinds of medications. So you need to make sure that we, we take care of the medical issues. Once those are eliminated, then you need to finally get down to what's going on here. And I mentioned to you uh, Martha and Mar Marshall Asher in their book uh, on psychological terms. They say this, they say, quote, schizophrenia is an exaggerated response to fear, guilt, and hopelessness. The person has unmitigated guilt and much to fear. And in this case, in most cases, the schizophrenic, or if all, all cases, the schizophrenic should be treated as an unbeliever until otherwise proved that they are a believer until proved otherwise. Um, what's going on in both cases? Uh, and, and similar things are said about uh, DID. What's going on in both cases? What are some possible causes of schizophrenic and uh, multiple personality disorder? What are some underlying causes that give rise to this kind of behavior that is, is in the case of schizophrenia, um, 
leads to disorganized incoherence, hallucinations, strong delusions. Um, we've already mentioned traumatic experience and not knowing how to deal with those traumatic experiences within a Christian worldview where you know a loving, gracious God who orders all things according to His good purposes and works all things together for your good. You are, you are standing at peace with God, having all of your sins forgiven, and, and you know this great God who works all things uh, according to the counsel of His own will and for your own good. Outside of that framework, people are dealing with these traumatic experiences. No one's lessening these traumatic experiences. They're horrible. To lose your mom at an early age, it's absolutely devastating to a person. And people learn how to deal with those things different ways. And these people have learned how to deal with these things in ways that actually can create greater problems for them going forward. Like I said, these things often, like OCD, they start small. And they grow and they grow and they grow. And that's what the, you have here in, in many of these. They started small and they grew and they grew and grew. And now they are actually, I would say, allowed to manifest these various personalities and even pin their behavior on these personalities so as to relieve responsibility for themselves. So you can have uh, these traumatic experiences that lead to a, uh, an, a deficient way of handling them. Okay? All, also, in both of these, in prime, uh, particularly in the schizophrenic, you, these can become, this can come directly from a guilty conscience. Um, with multiple personality disorder, I think there is a strong desire uh, for attention. Strong desire for attention, which is coming from pride. A strong desire to manipulate. Um, and you may be thinking, boy, that's harsh, Derek. Well, you don't want this person to remain in a place where they are handling their struggles and the sin committed against them in ways that are ultimately destructive for them and quite... Uh, unhelpful for other people. Uh, fear of danger and harm can often create these behaviors. The pressures from daily life and responsibilities. Just remember how we talked about the um, the lady with this the lady who just all of a sudden her uh, son and had um, uh, gotten a girl pregnant and they were a Christian family and she's very devastated by this and she didn't know how to handle all this and it was just going to be a huge mess. And she faked going in a catatonic state for seven hours until the, the counselor came in and said, well, if you're going to continue this way, you're going to have to be locked up in a mental institution. And let me tell you how that's going to go. It's going to go like this. It's going to go like this. And then immediately she said, okay. You know, she gave up the, the trickery because she, she realized that, that it would be better, though hard, to face her problems than to try to relieve herself of responsibility to handle these problems. And so the pressures from daily life and responsibilities, if you don't know how to navigate them and manage them, they are going to crush you. And you're going to find alternate ways to handling them. And they're going to start to really cause problems in your thinking. Uh, we mentioned traumatic events. And then you could just say a combination of all of these, I think, can bring about this kind of behavior, both schizophrenia and DID behaviors. Um, when we think about issues related to fear, for example, one of the most common phrases in the Bible is what? Do not fear. Just countless times God telling Israel and Christ telling His disciples, do not fear. 
fear not. And underlying, as you listen and read and study, underlying a lot of these behaviors, including the ones we've already studied, OCD even last week, is fear. Fear of harm, fear of something bad happening to you, fear of something bad happening to other uh, people that you love because someone, something has already happened really bad to someone you, you love. And so there's this underlying fear. And as we've noted, if you're an, unbelie- an unbeliever, your fear is compounded because you have a guilty conscience and the, the weight of God's judgment upon you. And even if you're not a believer, that still is a reality. And so you're, you're, you're crushed and you're just crushed by the, the reality of fear, right? And yet Scripture over and over tells the Christian to not fear. I mean, I just pulled out a few. Um, Deuteronomy one twenty one. this is before they're going to go into the land. See, the Lord your God has set before you the land. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then he tells Joshua in 8.1, Do not fear or be dismayed. Do not fear, I have given them into your hands. Do not, Jeremiah 42.11, Do not fear the king of Babylon. Matthew 10.28, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. 1 Peter 3.6, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And if you are her children, you are her children if you do good. And do not fear anything that is frightening. I mean, that is a, a command over and over and over given to believers. What happens in your life when fear is removed? Well, a remarkable amount of mental clarity, a remarkable amount of what we might call mental health occurs. That that greatest cause of fear, namely the fear of God's judgment, has been removed by Christ at the cross. Now you're at peace with God. That's a huge weight lifted. And then as you get to know God better and recognize that He is in control of all things and not one thing happens to you that He is not allowed for your good, and put together for you good. When you believe those things and you are walking now in courage and not in fear, you're going to experience a lot of what we might call mental health. And you're going to deal with your problems in a way that is not only of benefit to you, but also blesses others. People that are locked into um, these disorders are not much used to other people. And they would, they would admit that. And psychiatrists and psychologists would admit that. They're just not much used to people. They are so in their head and so in their problems that they have to just, they, they've been removed from major portions of their life, relationally, occupationally, whatever it might be, and now they're just, they're not much used to people, right? They're, they're, they're not serving and helping, and you don't want a person to remain in that uh, state. So when you are walking in cur- courage and not walking in fear, you're able to serve and bless others. What else? Well, I think a, a guilty conscience is, a, is, I've said this from the beginning, I think a guilty con- conscience underlies just about every single disorder in the DSM. And yet, a good conscience is a, is a priority in the New Testament. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's 1 Timothy 1.5. And that's bringing us all the way back to the very beginning of our study. Remember when I talked about this is the picture of the healthy Christian walking in the fruit of the Spirit. What does that sound like? That sounds like someone who has significant mental health and it's rooted in a good conscience. 
When your conscience is defiled, when your conscience is burdened, you will try to deal with that in sometimes strange and erratic ways or self-destructive ways or, or all the above. Um, I also think that there is a in inability or an unwillingness in some cases, again, I'm not trying to paint a broad brush to say this is the case with any, but I'm saying with some cases of schizophrenia and some cases of DID that there is an underlying unwillingness to face life's responsibilities, to work, to provide for yourself, to serve others. And I just found this interesting. Okay, I've, you guys already know the, the Proverbs that speak of the, the the sluggard, Proverbs 15, 19, the way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns. The path of the upright is a level highway. So the life of the sluggard is just hard. It's just, you don't want to work. You don't want to face life's responsibilities. You don't want to face the tough things. Your life's just going to be hard. Unnecessarily hard. It's like trying to get through a hedge of thorns, which is quite painful. Because uh, I tried it once. Not fully, but anyways. Um, but listen to this. The sluggard, this is Proverbs 22, 13. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside, I shall be killed in the streets. What is that? That's a delusion. That's a hallucination. I didn't realize that till today. Think there's a connection there? I sure do. How do I get relief in this, you know, I live in a Western, the Western culture that's awash in mental health, how, or mental illness. How do I get relief for my responsibilities. Well, it, it's, it's, it's no different than the sluggard in ancient Israel. There's a, there's, a, there's a lion in the streets. I'll be killed if I go outside. So I do think that there's, and, and, and again, this is not just me, this is psychiatrists, psychologists recognizing, no, this, there is something underlying here where, where the person is trying to escape from reality, try to escape from their responsibilities. Um, Proverbs 26.13 repeats the, the thing about the line in the road, so it must be important. Um, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Just think of that picture for a second. Reaches down to get the food and just like, oh. You might look at that and go, wow, that's weird, strange, erratic behavior. What's going on there? Proverbs says, that's just a sluggard. He's not even able to do things which are pleasurable. One of the marks of schizophrenia is actually the loss of pleasure. Here's, uh, this, is not the only, um, um, this is not the only place it talks about this, but here it's the indication is that even the ability to please oneself is diminished, not by schizophrenia, but by, by laziness. And then finally, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Um, you, you, you see this with, I think, with regard to the way that some of these patients can be highly manipulative and kind of can take their counselors for a ride um, because they, they are the ones who are experiencing it. They can tell you what's going on. I'll, I'll tell you exactly what's going on. And, and, and yet they're, they're resistant to receiving counsel from from others. So, um, please hear what I'm saying. This is in no way diminishing the sin 
that people have experienced against themselves. This lady who, who suffered for, uh, abuse from her father, absolutely horrendous. I couldn't imagine. Um, and it doesn't surprise me at all that she ended up where she did because she had to cope with it somehow. Okay? She's just trying to cope. And she's just not coping with these things in a way that, that God has designed. And so then it becomes kind of strange behavior. Unfortunately, that strange behavior is now being embraced and saying, oh, this is just a, a disorder and we need to relieve this person of any kind of responsibility. And, just, and, so, and then, um, so I'm not diminishing at all the, the, the sin that's committed against these people, nor am I diminishing the grief that people feel when they have a, a traumatic experience like the loss of a parent. Okay? Again, what are they doing? They're just trying to cope with life and the hard things. So uh, what I am trying to say is that these things are not some sort of complex um, biologically caused disorders that, that the Christian can say nothing about. I think exactly the opposite, actually. We, have the, we know the underlying root cause, and uh, we need to first see to it that this person understands and believes the gospel and relieves the main cause of their anxiety and their uh, fears and, 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 and so on, and then work to have them grow in a vision of God that supplies them with the resources to rightly cope with their issues in life, to face the hard things in life for the glory of God and to, to the benefit of others. So that's been my whole goal this whole time, is to take these things out of the, the realm of the, uh, the, the psychiatrist and the psychologist and the, the so-called professional and say, no, 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 no. The Christian can speak coherently about these things. They can speak insightfully about these things. And we can actually get to the root cause of many, if not most, of these things. Okay? And to, that's why we did a lot of kind of conceptual analysis at the beginning to, to, to show us that, listen, when you are listening to the psychiatrist, psychologist, or the biblical counselor, you're listening to people from two different worldviews, two different anthropologies, two different ways of thinking about the human person, and therefore you're going to get two different uh, interpretations of behavior and, and uh, solutions for that behavior. So... That's what I've been trying to do uh, from the, the get-go. Let's do insomnia real quick and then leave a couple minutes for questions. Okay, insomnia. It is considered a disorder. It's called a common sleep disorder. Most of you are probably suffering from it, but anyways, okay. Uh, with insomnia, you may have trouble falling asleep, staying asleep, or getting a good quality sleep. This happens even if you have the time and the right environment to sleep well, insomnia uh, can get in the way of your daily activities and make you feel sleepy during the day, which is just horrible. I mean, when we're really tired and then we get a good night's sleep, I wake up in the morning and I often say, a good night's sleep changes everything. And that really is the case. Do you, do you agree? A good night's sleep changes everything. I just, I wanna, I wanna leave the ministry and I'm the worst dad in the world after three nights of really miserable sleep. Then I get a good night's sleep, I'm like, oh ready to go to church, ready to take care of the kids, let's do this. It's just all it needed, all I needed was a good night's sleep. Um, so we all know that not getting good sleep is a huge, has a huge effect on our life. Uh, Short-term insomnia may be caused by stress or chronic or changes in your schedule. Um, chronic or long-term insomnia occurs three or more nights a week, lasts more than three months, and cannot be fully explained by other health problems. Um, you need to have it diagnosed by a health care provider and so on. Okay. Treatment for insomnia. Now, I'm just kind of coming from a biblical perspective here, which, this is, 
This is why when someone will talk to me about all the wonderful insights that psychology has, I often go, those aren't exclusive to psychology. Like the Christian thinking within a biblical worldview can have just as many practical insights. And so this is just, this is just coming from a Christian worldview, thinking about the issue of sleep and some very practical measures to consider. Okay, first let's consider physical and environmental factors. Let's consider caffeine consumption during the day and evening. Okay? And you may not know this, but uh, some of you say, well, I just drink caffeine in the morning. I found out the hard way, sadly, that some of us metabolize caffeine differently. Some of us better than others. And some of us can actually keep caffeine in our symptoms all, all day, and it can affect our sleep even if we only drink caffeine in the morning. So you have to consider, in, in considering that and cutting that out for some people is total anathema. They will, they, I will not quit drink, drinking coffee. I've heard people tell me that. I will not quit drinking coffee. Well, okay. Then there's not much I can do about your insomnia then, right? Uh, and, and unfortunately, this is a situation where um, the addiction to caffeine perpetuates itself because you don't sleep very well, and because you don't sleep very well, you drink caffeine, and you drink caffeine, therefore you don't sleep very well. It's just self-perpetuating. You have to get off the, the wheel. Consider environmental disturbances, cars, pets, outside noises, exercise habits. Are you even exercising? Our, most of us work in a sedentary environment. Most of us are not working with our hands and with our bodies. I say most of us because some of us in here are. Uh, because of our current content cultural setting, we are mostly uh, informational workers, knowledge workers. Okay? So, if, but I, I think you can just see it from the, the flow of redemptive history. We are clearly made, and by creation, we are clearly made to work physically and to expend physical energy. And so if you're not doing that, you're probably not going to be sleeping real great at night. Or are you exercising at night, which may actually stimulate you not to be able to sleep very well. Um, are you taking afternoon naps? What's your sleep routine like? Uh, are you stimulating your mind before bed? I can't read books like on psychology before I go to bed because it'll just stir me up and be like, oh man, I got to write something down I gotta, and it'll just keep me up till midnight. Uh, so I got to read fun books like, you know, historical books that, that are inconsequential. They're just, they're just fun and it helps me go to sleep because uh, I can't stimulate my mind before bed. If you are on a screen uh, watching something or on your phone, it, you need to be it's up to like two hours prior to sleep that it doesn't have an effect on your, your brain and sort of brain stimulation. Uh, so you, if you're doing that, that's going to keep you from sleeping. Uh, are you staying up late and getting up early? Are you going to bed and waking up at all different times? That'll uh, disrupt your sleep. Are you eating an hour before bed? That's been shown to disrupt sleep. Um, are your work hours abnormal? Are you working the swing or graveyard shift? Do you have chronic pain? Are you on any medication? So there's a lot of factors, physical environmental factors, for why you might have insomnia. However, let's consider the spiritual factors and we'll be done. Question, are you harboring unconfessed sin? Psalm 32, 3, 4, this was keeping David up at night. Okay? Are you anxious over an upcoming event? Philippians 4, 6. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Just that may be keeping you up. Or maybe it is something that's come to dominate your life and you're not taking it to the Lord uh, in prayer. Are you anxious about your life and provisions? Matthew 6, 25 and following. That can keep you up at night. Are you walking in a good conscience? Are you going to bed at night, your conscience bothering you every night because of how you talk to your neighbor, talk to your employees, did something online or whatever it is? That'll keep you up at night. Are you enduring a trial? 
Psalm 6.6, this kept David up at night. Are you entrusting everything to God? Psalm 127 says that this, that this gives a, the, a, a person sweet sleep. Psalm 4.8, are you doing your work in trusting obedience to God? That's also Psalm 127 too. I, like, I love this one. Psalm 127 too. Are you doing your work in trustful obedience to God? Listen to what he says. Do not toil. It is, in, it is in vain that you rise early and go to late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Are you presently, do you have presently have a conflict with someone else? Ephesians 4.26 says, don't let the sun go down on that conflict. Did you recently mishandle a conflict with someone else or make a foolish promise? Proverbs tells you not to go to bed until you've covered that, and oftentimes that will keep you up at night. Uh, are you walking in wisdom? Proverbs 3 says, as you walk in wisdom, it will be refreshment to your bones. If you, uh, so up to this point in chapter 3, it's all about trusting the Lord, walking in wisdom, verse 24. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence. Like these, this isn't cliche. Like this is a lot of reasons why people aren't sleeping well at night. Are you walking in wisdom? Or are you acting foolishly and it's causing a hedge of thorns in your life? Are you plotting evil? If you're plotting evil, it doesn't mean you need plotting robbing a bank. But if you're plotting, you know, if you're having bitter thoughts toward another person and thinking about how you can get back at them the next day, you're not going to sleep well. That's God's design. So there are multiple different environmental and physical and spiritual factors to a person not getting enough sleep. And so um, I wanted to just give you kind of a full overview because it's not merely something where um, it's this, this kind of unknown, undiagnosable situation. No, there are, there are underlying spiritual causes and factors that you also want to consider alongside the physical. So, uh, questions, and then we'll be done. A few questions if you have any this morning. Yes, Paige. Yep. Yes, absolutely. In fact, uh, psychiatrists and psychologists say that. It's just a, it's a strong desire for attention. Mm-hmm. And we know, we, as Christians, we know what that's all about. We know the, we know the inner desire of, of pride and self-focus and self-love and wanting attention. But self-love is actually, uh, in, in that sense, is condemned in Scripture. It's not something that should be cultivated. Self-love actually characterizes the unbeliever. Yeah, Thomas. So, because uh, you, you mentioned earlier about schizophrenia, that there wasn't a consensus that it's some underlying... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's but merely a hypothesis. Sort of medication Like any uh, uh, medication, it's just targeting symptoms. So it's trying to relieve uh, certain symptoms. Um, yeah, anxiety. Um, there's certain things that I've heard can uh, uh, lessen the so-called voices in the head. But this isn't. Um, the, these are these are kind of um, working on the. As far as I understand, I remember this is not my field of expertise, but working on the brain in such a way so as to just. Uh, uh, slow down certain functions and slow down certain things so as to not, so as to not create these kinds of uh, voices in the head or anxiety, which is a large underlying cause of, of, of these kinds of things. 
So that's all. They're, they're not treating a specific disease and say, okay, now this, this is, this is going to now fill in that deficiency. It's alleviating symptoms so to make life tolerable and to be able to have now interaction with a psychologist for psychotherapy. Um, sometimes you, they can't even have these, these interviews unless someone is on some kind of medication. Yes, Dana. Yeah, that, I'm glad you brought that up. There's actually in my notes. I just didn't want to spend more time. But a biblical anthropology would say that we are, we are one person. And actually, double-mindedness is sinful. You should not be double-minded. And so you, you, are this, you are one person. You do not have multiple different personalities. I mean, even the word personality, the word personality is loaded with psychological freight, okay, um, in terms of what that has meant over time. So, in terms of who we are, we are one person who stands before God. We have many different skills, emotions, so on, but we are one person who stands before God. And actually, now that we are in Christ, we need to bring our, our mind under control, our thoughts under control, and actually to be double-minded is something very undesirable for a person. So a biblical anthropology would reject, a consistent biblical anthropology would reject the idea that a Christian can have multiple personalities. Um, Again, maybe you have to back them and say, what do you mean by personality, right? Um, but I think I do know what they mean in that case, and I would, I would reject it. Yeah, I don't think it's, I don't think it's right, right to think about it that way. Yeah, Nate. Hey, uh, the guy in the Bible, the we are legion guy? Yes. Is that an example of DID? So um, I, I, I do want to leave the door open for demonic possession, okay? Now, psychological... Modern psychology would reject that as just religious fundamentalism and laugh me out of the room. I've seen some videos, I'm like, whoa, okay, that could be, right? And we can't dismiss it um, out of hand because it's clearly a biblical category. I just want to be careful that I'm not saying that every person that says they have DID, <laughs> I would say, oh, yeah, demonic possession. No, that, no, 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 no. That's very under-nuanced and not even, uh, not even, not even helpful. Often you have to get under what's going on here. This is just someone who's producing these things for, for whatever reasons. Um, but yes, you could have someone who has um, experiencing these things that actually could have demonic possession. We have to leave that door open. So, but not in every case. But in the case of oh. the We Are Legion, you would look at that and psychiatrists would call that yes. DID. We would call that demonic possession. Yes, exactly. Yep. Because they don't have, they wouldn't. They would say this is an ancient culture trying to understand what we know now as DID. And we say, no, this is, this is what was actually happening, and you are assessing it from a naturalistic perspective. So good question. Thank you. Yeah, Amy. Um, kind of more of a two-part comment, but the traumatic events happening, yeah. sometimes i found that people can blame like all of their life on that one yeah. event, yeah. and then it excuses any of their own personal sin that yeah. has come as a snowball effect yeah. of that. Um, and so I guess that's something with like biblical counseling, you've got to really get down to that root and help them 
Yes, absolutely. What about these people to you even said it in one of your examples that they believe they have a traumatic event, but it's been blocked out of their memory and they don't remember it anymore. I have found this too, like if people yeah. are having symptoms of something, the psychologist almost like implants yes. a, well, you must have had yes. a traumatic experience. You don't remember it. Yeah. It must have, something must have happened. And then, then again, people can attach everything yeah. to this thing that maybe never happened. Yeah, and that's, that's hugely important because I think in that case that's possible with that one girl that actually this, not she didn't experience it. She may have, but we don't know. But that the um, psychologist placed it upon her, the psychiatrist placed it upon her, and she being open, as I read somewhere, uh, people with DID are very susceptible to, to suggestion. That's why that one girl went from Smeagol to whoever else it was, with the last movie she watched, because they're very open to suggestion. And so in the case there, it's probably, I think, I don't know, but it could be the case that the, the psychologist said, well, you probably had a traumatic experience. That's what gave rise to these um, uh, things. The problem with that, and the reason why a Christian would have to reject that approach altogether, is because that is simply contrary to what the Scripture tells us to do, to dwell on what is true. If you can't remember it, and there's no corroborating evidence, and we don't have anybody else confirming this, then I cannot, I mean, in good conscience, I mean, that's an epistemological nightmare to say, then I think you, you're forgetting that you have these symptoms, therefore I'm, th I'm thinking something traumatic happened to you, something did traumatic happen to you, and you just can't remember it. I mean, that is horrendous malpractice, in my judgment, because you are basing a whole set of uh, solutions now on, on something that may or may not be true. And as Christians, we have to reject that. Their whole reality and all of their life is based on something that may or may not be true. Yeah. And so the beauty of Scripture is that all of those things notwithstanding, you are responsible for your response to life now. Okay? All those things notwithstanding. You stand before God, forgiven in Christ if you're a Christian, and now you can deal with those things uh, in the past as best as you can remember them, and, but that's what you're responsible for now. Okay? All right, one last question, Paige, and we'll be done. Yeah, so this is very, this is challenging, guys, because my argument from the beginning is that Christians have all the resources they need in Scripture and in, in the Church and the Spirit, Holy Spirit to counsel one another. When you're talking about an unbeliever, there's only so much you can do until they know Christ, right? Because if you're, think, if you're living outside of biblical worldview or Christian worldview and you don't have peace with God, then what are you going to do, Right? I mean, in, in, in that sense, when someone is totally, completely out of their mind, I think that's a place where medication is useful if they're an unbeliever because you've got to get them calm down, right? Um, and so in the case of demonic possession, uh, biblically speaking, like, they likely exhibit extraordinary strength. Um, they are trying to harm themselves, they're out of their mind, they're, they're speaking things that are completely confused and erratic. 
most of the, the multiple personality stuff that I watch, the people are just clearly creating these things themselves. And, it's, and some of them is very childish, and some of them it's, it's, it's not. And so uh, in terms of, but I have watched like other, um, this is a while ago when I um, watch videos on drug addiction and so on. I do think I have seen in the case of some folks uh, demonic possession, what I think was demonic possession, because it's so closely mirrored what you see in Scripture. The, the very strong physical self-harm, the getting naked, the, um, the, the multiple different pe people in their head. And so I think I would encourage all of you guys, though, that and by saying that's the demonic possession is probably... It happens more than we like to think, but it doesn't happen as much as some people say it does, particularly in kind of in some religious sects. So I think I would encourage you guys by saying, um, in most cases, you're just wanting to get to the root of the person's fear, anxiety, self-love, traumatic experience, sinful responses, and things like this. And it, it's probably not demonic possession, though. If you follow Scripture and the Scripture's description of it, you, there are certain things to look for. Um, but I, I wouldn't proceed on that assumption unless you have very good reason, very good reason to. But I wouldn't, that wouldn't be my first step out of the door with somebody. First step out of the door with any unbeliever is the gospel. Okay? You've got to relieve all that weight of, of pressure and anxiety first um, before you deal with other issues. So, All right, I've kept you too long, you guys. You guys are free to go. Uh, next week, we're going to start the Psalms. Okay? We're going to walk through the Psalms, spend several weeks on the Psalms. That's going to be a wonderful study. I'm excited about it. And, uh, of course, if you ever have any questions, come and talk to me. You're free to go.